Hello and welcome to another episode, another exciting edition, another blood-soaked, sword-clanging, sneak-attacking, boss-battling <laughs> edition of Bullet Points Podcast, the podcast all about uh, specifically first-person modern military shooters. Um, I'm your host, Reed McCarter, uh, and... I am joined today by none other than two returning guests, two of our favorite people to have on this show. Joshua Calixto, famed writer of Kotaku.com, which is a website about video games, and co-host of the Bad End podcast, the best podcast about video games on the internet. <laughs> I think last time you were on, I said second best, but this time I'm, I'm like I'm not fucking around. I that ends better than than what we did. Shut up. Uh, we're coming up in the ranks. We're 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 breathing down Bullet Points' neck. Maybe. What's your uh, what's your your Apple ranking? Where are you at on the charts? Um, three. Overall, it's like on the video game podcasts that start with the letter B um ranks yeah who else is there any other competition for that that category uh apparently two two others <laughs> yeah uh. I, I yeah i actually i have not looked at our apple page in a long time i remember yeah, i mean i personally can't think of another podcast that starts with letter b that's about video games um <laughs> <laughs> we are also joined by damn daniel himself daniel freeze writer hello of many many publications most importantly bulletpointsmonthly.com yeah this one right here he will be writing on sekiro very soon so it's kind of a, a nice little brand synergy exercise that we're doing here today for sure dan how are you i'm good i'm good you know today actually this is the kind of thing you can do when it's when it's not ed hosting you can just say inane shit and um it, it'll be left in today i was writing something about memes and i saw i had the occasion i think for the first time in about a year to watch the damn daniel video again have you seen that recently that holds up not recently i i can't say that i had to return to that one many times to to hear it sort of on repeat i was trying to think of like a few sort of like unimpeachably good memes like memes that are actually sort of like bring something positive to the world and the first one that came to mind was the ikea monkey even though the backstory is not you know great um toronto ontario's own <laughs> ikea monkey hometown i don't know if i know the ikea monkey. he's a hometown hero it's jim carrey mike with Myers. the coat yeah, he's oh yeah, okay. A big yeah. furry coat on, yeah. Yeah. Have you not seen him? Dan? Speaking of monkeys, no, I have. I didn't realize there was, there was an IKEA involved. Stop trying to make a segue that would <laughs> that would work really well. <laughs> Just let me wall on this. Anyway, the whole point is, damn Daniel is a great video, and I imagine that if your name is actually Daniel, it's even better. Sure, I guess. <sighs> Could be the other way around. <laughs> do you do you own any white vans? I, I wear Stan Smith's a lot, but that's that's all I got. Mm, okay. I don't own any Vans sneakers, TM. 
Um, I do. Do you? I have some white ones. Do you go? That's a skate highs. I have been back at it again in the white vans. Do you? Uh, that's. Do you ever? <laughs> that's different. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever go out and just like, just grind some some handrails in your white? Yeah, vans? I mean, I'm, I live in California, so. I was gonna say. Everybody does. Um. Yeah, so let's get back to that early segue Dan tried to introduce that I refused, but will now accept uh, <laughs> about monkeys because we're talking about Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, the latest from the uh, the the uh, I don't know what you evil know. geniuses the evil geniuses <laughs> the, <laughs> the dungeon masters the dastardly dungeon masters the, the no easy mode allowed maestros <laughs> at from software creators of such hits as king's field and uh that's it that's the only other game they've made cookie and cream Cook- shadow tower <laughs> yeah yeah uh and echo knight 2 i think i played cookie and cream was that nintendo 64 i don't know anyway enough pussyfooting around they made dark souls they made Demon Souls. They made Bloodborne. And now they've made Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, uh, which is what we're talking about today. And I think uh, a lot of stuff about it is just going to come out as we talk. Um, but it's a game where you play as a ninja who is, I guess the essence of it is he's trying to find his lord again, who he's sworn to. He finds him. <laughs> Some wacky hijinks ensue. Uh, it's similar in certain respects, and at least a lot of like surface level respects to the Souls games. So it's a game that is sort of unforgiving in terms of um, you die pretty often. The combat is difficult enough that you know one or two hits from an enemy will kill you and you kind of have to backtrack from where you were it doesn't just like revive you right away i don't know what other things you would call characteristic of souls games that are in this game too um it's it's got bosses that are very difficult to fight and i think that's about enough of an introduction because everything else will come out as we talk so we'll start with the big broad umbrella question and i'll throw it to dan first dan do you like sekiro i do i'm very happy to be on uh the my this is my third visit to bullet points and also the third time i'm talking or the second time i'm talking about a game that i quite like which is i think unusual uh and it's rewarding vampire was all right ed's not here so we can yeah okay so two and a half yeah um yeah i think it's great i like it more than all of the other dark souls from software games that i have engaged with in 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 some way josh what do you think of uh sekiro shadows die twice i'm i come on the positive side on i come out on the positive end um i it's kind of i don't don't know who's gonna pick up ed's mantle of like being anti the game here because i love it 
if you listen to the previous two episodes of Bad End Podcast, um, I speak very positively about Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Um, I think it's my favorite game ever. Why? Uh, <laughs> what? I yeah no I I like this game quite a bit, and it it touched me in a way that few other games have. You know, it moved me. Well, I was at g- times. I was gonna say it's it's. Uh, I'm sad Ed couldn't be on this one because he didn't like it. and I thought it'd be interesting to have a little back and forth and i was going to say well we're all kind of on the same page i think because i've talked to both of you about this before uh yeah josh was also offering me words of encouragement throughout my journey through sekiro shadows die twice um but you saying that it may be your favorite game ever i think ups the ante here because i would not say that i would not say it's my favorite game ever although i like it so Mm -hmm. i feel like this is going to give us a little bit more a little bit more oomph yeah hell um, yeah dude what about it see this is it's gonna be tough because i think there's a lot of different things about this game i like a lot but if you could kind of distill it into why this would have why this would beat out you know half-life 2 mario <laughs> 3 um kingdom hearts kingdom hearts 2 hd One. remix persona 3 portable the world ends with you right fantastic video game all the hall of famers <laughs> god of war 2018 oh god um so for me like whenever i feel like whenever i'm playing a game that i'm clearly enjoying and i'm like actually liking without many um i guess drawbacks or caveats i'm kind of thinking okay how does this compare to other games that I've really liked? What do I really like about this? And I try to like tap into the, I guess like relative euphoria of like what I'm feeling. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you try to get a, some sort of comparison to stuff that you've played in the past. Mm. And I try to do that a lot with Sekido Cause I was, I was playing this game and I was like, damn, this feels like really fucking good to play. I would die to these bosses tens and dozens of times. And after dying just be like i want to play that again and that's not a sensation i really get with video games like this i never had it with the dark souls series i haven't had it you know even with like super meat boy i would get more frustrated than i would get here um and and i try to try to like start tapping into like you know why is this why am i getting this sensation what am i like kind of discerning about this game that makes it different and I actually found that there like there was a lot of meat there. It wasn't like this empty, inexplicable, I can't really tell, it just feels like a good game to play, you know, because there are a lot of those. I've come across a lot of those games where it's like, I can just turn off my brain and enjoy this game. But Sekido had like multiple other layers to that that I was really enjoying. The first of which will be familiar to anyone who's played Dark Souls games in the past and Demon Souls, stuff like that, Bloodborne. But... You know, it ties in really well with its story. I think the way that the story is related in this game, the plot, I think uh, a lot of the like ambiguity of the world building, um, it leaves that like perfect gap between what is being like explicitly told to you and what exists in the background as world building. I think that's something that Souls did really well 
in a lot of like in an almost like literary sense where you really had to read into what you were looking at in order to like get a grasp of the lore and stuff like that you know what i'm saying like there's so many people who explain that stuff on the internet but at a surface level it kind of works its magic on you because you're doing so much projection on what you're seeing you're like what the hell is this place that i'm in like who are these characters that i'm encountering mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of the legwork yourself in the soul series you have to do a little bit less of that in Sekido, but I feel like the balance is like really nice. It feels like the sophomore album to like the uh, to like the, the debut where it's like slightly more mainstream friendly, but also like hits its stride. It feels much more digestible and uh, I guess like pleasant to me. I'm like a little bit of a I'm into like pop. I'm into that like second album sound. You know what I'm saying? Like. Mm. Animal Collective, for instance, if I'm going to make this comparison, um, <laughs> if I'm going to make like the like Sung Tongs to like Meriwether Post Pavilion thing, where it's like when they got that accessible stride of Meriwether Post Pavilion, that's when I like really latched on, even though I really loved their stuff before that. Um, I like that kind of like jump toward accessibility, and I feel like Sekido is the perfect encapsulation of that with the Souls series. This is, yeah, this is the All Might. All my gun fork girls, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, it actually might be interesting to talk a little bit about the story at the beginning because I agree with a lot of that. I think, to me, I always respected a lot of what Dark Souls was doing, especially the first one and Demon Souls. Um, but to me, they were almost more like kind of mood pieces. I wasn't as interested mm-hmm. in trying to like mm-hmm. figure out, well, this is the story. And I think it's neat that people can go and find all that stuff but i also kind of have a bit of a problem with stories that like i always think of it as like collectible storytelling where if you miss certain things you're not going to have all the tools you need to piece together what's already like a pretty opaque story and i thought i thought bloodborne did up until this one bloodborne was probably my favorite because i felt like i had much more of a sense of what was happening and i felt more of a sense too of like a story unfolding not just a story being sort of pieced together bit by bit um like the realization of what's happening in bloodborne i think is really masterfully done uh Sekiro, i think yeah like josh what you're saying it's it's good though too like <laughs> i mean like the animal collective thing is fine it's like when um like you can get like a discernible melody and then a bunch of people might be like oh well this is this is selling out this is too much this is too easy to follow but like it still has all the qualities or a lot of the qualities of i think what works in those past games like the sense of fear um they're really good at evoking like um they're really good at making things that are feel sort of like perverse or like wrong um, and yeah. then making them kill you yeah. over and over. Like I think the monks <laughs> in this are great at that. Um, yeah, there's, there's a yeah, like a lot of the story comes through in the cutscenes, um, or sort of the base layer of the story comes through in the cutscenes, um, and there is a ton of that kind of collectible story thing going on, um, but a, there are elements of that that they kind of force into your inventory, like when you. 
uh, kill a boss, you get this item that like you can consume to gain attack power, and if you do, you get another item, and that's usually the one that has uh, like some valuable piece of the story in it. Mm-hmm. And for like one really good example is Lady Butterfly has this. I think hers says something about um, how she trained in illusion magic in Usui's forest. And we don't know who Usui is. We don't know about the forest. We don't know about these illusions. But we've got some idea that at one point she trained with somebody. And as the story goes on, we like learn more things that kind of build on top of some of these items that we're forced to have on some of the things that we learn through the cutscenes. Um, and I think the it's like not just the, the sort of mood piece Dark Souls way of, of telling stories. It's this... Uh, yeah, it is a more like a poppier, more accessible, more traditional cutscene-driven story, but also uh, like the world is saturated in the same way that it is in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what did this will go to to Dan on this first? But what did you think of of the story as a whole? Like, of I mean, we're talking about how it's told, and I think we all mm-hmm. agree it's well told in this, but did it sort of do anything for you just as a story? I think initially there's this sense that like, uh, so Wolf's, Wolf's Lord gets kidnapped um, and he's been kidnapped because he has this blood that can make people come back to life and the villain wants to use it to like take over some, some more territory or like preserve his family's um, like hold on Japan in the Sengoku era. Um that's a really, really video gamey story. There's something like mm-hmm. deeply, deeply, whether you know, Legend of Zelda or uh, like Tenchu esque about that kind of um, the simplicity of that story. But I think again, like over the course of the game, as you learn more things and find more things and seek more things out, um, like the way in which it's told and the uh, sort of strangeness of some of these weirder elements, like the the monks who've been sort of holed up in in the temple, uh, like figuring out how to live forever. Um, those things are really cool, and the game sort of lets you dive into those as much as you want. So I think the the base layer of the story I don't think is actually particularly interesting. Um, but I think by the time the game ends, you've you've sort of seen it from so many different points and so many different layers that um, it is really compelling and you sort of recognize Wolf's place and Genichiro's place in this kind of much bigger, much more frightening and worrying story. Um, So yes, at the beginning, no, and at the end, yes. What about you, Josh? I think there's like a lot of stuff. I I, I know we're talking more specifically about plot here, and Mm. I think a lot of the plot, um, it is... I, I found it by the end of the game to be um, really strong, especially in comparison with a lot of other video games. Because yeah, Dan, as you said, it starts off, you know, as this very like video gamey escort mission uh, sort of vibe. But over the course of the game, it becomes like this very interesting like gray area where you're talking about like immortality, you're talking about like your code of honor, you're talking about all of these like elements that are kind of at odds with one another. Um, one of the main elements of the story uh and this is a bit of a spoiler alert for about halfway through the game but uh, you have to kind of decide (laughs) but you have to kind of decide whether you essentially want to 
break the code that you've made or break the vow that you've made um, to your Lord and uh, essentially like protect him and go against his wishes of severing his immortal ties. Um, and you have that decision and it actually does affect the outcome of the story in like a very not Bioware sort of way. It's not superficial. Like it will actually change the video game depending on what decision that you make. Um, but all of that stuff is like, really, you could go either way. You know, it's like, I, I don't see a player, like, uh, I don't see an issue with the player who chooses to break the code and, um, you know, essentially not kill their master. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I did decide to break the ties to immortality, but um, I, I can see like anyone making the different decision. And I feel like a lot of the characters in this game, even though a lot of the motives are different, there never really felt to me like there was a like a villain or a character that was like really in the wrong except for i guess like those the monks in senpo temple who were like trying to like experiment on children do artificial yeah artificial yeah. immortality shit and that was a uh, pretty fucked up yeah there is the, I, I was gonna say that that so you're you this ending um that you're talking about josh I, one of the things that I really like about the game is that in that ending uh, you see Wolf in the temple in the dilapidated temple where the sculptor was and he's wearing red and he's only got one arm and he's uh, carving these Buddha statues in exactly the same way that we saw the sculptor doing at the beginning of the game mm-hmm. um, and it sort of implies this like cycle of uh, like anger and resentment and it implies that the the problem that was present at the beginning of the game is clearly not over like it's still there and we haven't uh like rid ourselves of it um and the other endings of the game are also um they're they're also like weird and interesting in that uh in the one there's another one that you can get is if you talk to emma at the right moment you can basically tell her that kuro wants to die and she'll be like that sounds bad we should prevent that from happening Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what happens in that ending is um, spoilers again you uh, at the very end after Wolf uh, like is there with Kuro and can give him one item or t- one collection of items to end the game um, this ending he uh, like cuts his own head off uh, and it's this like exchange thing where, where Kuro survives um, and decides to like leave I think after he comes of age um, and then there's a third ending where um, neither of those things happen and Wolf and the Divine Child head west um, with, uh, like, and the Divine Child has, like, subsumed Kuro into her heart. Um, and it, so it's this different, like, it, these looks at cycles and these looks at what characters Wolf resembles, like whether he resembles the sculptor or resembles Tomoe or is separating himself from the cycle and like forging a new chapter um, which is kind of sequel bait but fine Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I thought that those like those three endings and the fact that in the endings he doesn't just do different things like he looks like different things that we've already seen done is part of this like layered thing that's happening in the story and it's really interested in cycles um and whose cycle you're repeating and and what kind of uh i don't know what kind of doom you're facing i guess that's like the one thing i was going to say though is that to me the 
<clears throat> the ending where he kind of replaces the sculptor. Doesn't it also say something too? Um, I didn't, I didn't see this one, but I looked it up after. Doesn't it say something too about uh, that he's like been essentially stalking around the lands, killing people? Um. In so the, the sculptor, the sculptor. Uh, no, not the sculptor, because the sculptor becomes the. No, no, no. Demon, the demon of hatred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which. So you you might you might be talking about the the Shura ending, which is like the first ending you can get, um, if you decide to betray Kuro and yeah. side with Owl, um, you kill Emma and then you kill Ishin and then you kill Owl and the implication is that you just like go across Japan killing people and sort of yeah it's the you're like an an avatar of of Ashura like hatred and wrath and mm-hmm. all that so like some of these like to go back a bit to what josh was saying too like some of these to me read as not great you know so <laughs> so they're kind of like to me indicting certain ways of being or certain choices to make um not to say that there isn't something understandable in them but i feel like the ones other than essentially like breaking the cycle or at least sort of like making peace with it are like pretty worrying for the future in this game like the way that they kind of leave off and like the sculptor is not a happy dude you know like he (laughs) what's that thing he always says about he's like i keep carving these uh buddhas and no matter what i do they just like have these faces like wrathful faces or something yeah and he's like you'll see one day um, yeah. So like he's just like hanging out there in his temple, which is cozy, but like just making these like horrifying Buddhas, and he can't stop doing it. Like, and then he becomes the demon of hatred, which you know. It's it's also the temple is also covered in these in these like protective talismans. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like it is a a comfy place, but it has these talismans on the outside, and it's also full of the angry Buddhas that he's been. I mean, the lighting like is comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure, but I just it's um, like that. There's a tension there that I think is like cool. That's interesting. That's like, uh, like kind of literary. Um, reminds me of like the portrait of Dorian Gray or something. Like the idea that he can't sort of excise this wrathfulness from himself through this like meditative practice mm-hmm. um yeah i mean there are aspects of it too and one thing i really really like about this game is how explicitly of its setting and of its culture it is that it's it's not um japan sometime in the past it's you know late sengoku era japan and it's it's not you know um some religion that they're following some invented religion it's they're buddhist right um yeah and i think we see that pretty rarely in games that games are willing to engage with theology and especially the intersection of of history and culture and theology like very um directly like they don't mince around it I think that's one thing that this game has in common with the Souls series and um, like Bloodborne, for instance, is that it 
those games like did kind of engage with that stuff if not as explicitly I, I you know there's a lot of like catholic uh like gothic undertones yeah obviously under um you know some of the soul stuff and bloodborne mm. um and it doesn't engage with it like as directly as i think Sekiro does but um that stuff is all still there right like it it, it kind of takes this like fantasy r- religion like I guess the fantasy of these religions and like lays it out as if it was like this, this reality, you know what I'm saying? Like it turns religion into like a fantasy of its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was like kind of, it felt kind of weird in Bloodborne and Souls games because you're talking about like the medieval era and like the implications of like religion and, you know, the inquisition and crusades and stuff like that was, affected so many um things in like a much different way than it does in in a way that like felt kind of tilted or i guess like stilted because it was coming from a japanese developer i guess like it always felt like it was through this like weird japanese lens um but the fact that it's being portrayed this way in sekido i think is really interesting because it's like turning this like buddhism into a reality or like a, a fantasy world of its own yeah that's a, that's really interesting like i think bloodborne is maybe the most explicit with some of his references like while still being fantasy um in that it's like very clearly supposed to be uh western europe but like probably london london right right and it's supposed to be yeah like industrial revolution era and i think like the stuff about like the science stuff in it is very like what are those little guys with like they're like walking around with top hats those little uh the the slime professors or whatever they're like well there's those (laughs) ones too like in the academy aren't they wearing like yeah those ones are wearing like um they have miter boards on (laughs) yeah but even those little dudes who at the beginning of the game like like uh, they're in the place you go to to level up and stuff where the the doll woman is oh yeah 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 i don't know what they're called yeah the weird weird little guys but the little like homies wearing, like stovepipe hats right like they're <laughs> like those markers yeah. are pretty clear and yeah the the soul stuff too i think is is it but it's like this weird it's like almost um when you look at something like berserk or something right where it's like this fantasy europe from an outside perspective where you can engage with these ideas but there's almost this kind of like reticence to be specific because i don't know like if i wanted to engage with stuff about um feudal japan i would maybe not be as specific because it's not my own culture you know it's uh it's harder to maybe feel the ownership to kind of like dig into it that way i guess like Um, god of war is like a similar idea where it's like Greek mythology through this like totally different lens, I guess. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I would also argue that there's very little spirituality to God of War and that there's kind of a lot of spirituality in, the, in Dark Souls, Bloodborne, and Sekiro. Like the, the idea that you can, even in Bloodborne where you can like, and I think in, in Dark Souls you can have these specific emotes that are praying to specific entities uh, or like blessings as items and stuff. I feel like that's very, that, that's pretty baked into a lot of the the FromSoft stuff. 
um, on, a, on a level that's different from being explicitly about uh, like Greek gods or Norse gods. Yeah, I do think it's, I do think From did it much better even in Souls and Bloodborne <laughs> for the record than uh, oh, yeah. Sony did with God of War. There's, I mean, it's, it's Dante's been... Inferno, baby. Oh, yeah, that's Who a... could forget? <laughs> Yeah, or, or that, right, yeah. They teach that on Sundays now. Uh, the priest just gets <laughs> up and he just uh, loads up his save file from the week before and <laughs> picks up. Um, yeah, no, I think that's... Uh, I think they're really good, too, at... I mean, there's specificity in this game, but I think they're also really good at... Um, like, Josh, you said literary, but I also think of them like it's like more of like a, a visual art kind of exploration of, of certain ideas by making you feel things on a kind of like instinctual level like they do this thing here where in Sekiro when you go to the Senpo temple and uh, it's really gorgeous and it looks really idyllic and it's sort of remote and in the mountains and there's this beautiful path through this uh, the woods before you go up to the temple and it just seems really serene and nice and it gives you this feeling like oh this is um and i guess there are different paths you can take but you've been sort of around the uh, ashina temple up to this point which is in various states of like falling apart and kind of covered in blood and giant murderous roosters running around um and then you go here and it's really nice but you've also seen these notes before saying like whatever these monks are up to like fuck them they're they're yeah. up to some bad news uh and you get there and you're like oh these monks are just like they're just weirdos you know like they attack you right away but they're they look like humans and then you actually get into the the temple itself and then they start exploding into like these centipede creatures and yeah. just i think from is very good at i mean the souls games obviously do this really well too at at controlling kind of the pace um with which you're like become comfortable th with things and then become disgusted by things or terrified of them um i really like when the buddha warns you if you when you step out into senpo temple the there's poster, that tapestry the that's yeah. like hey 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 come talk to me and he's like <laughs> oh yeah what they're doing isn't buddhism i promise and then you leave and it's like okay fine i warned you it's like an avatar of the Buddha is telling you about Buddhism and how these guys are not doing it. Or they're like doing it wrong. That's right. And that's such a crazy moment. That does not happen anywhere else in the game. That is not, that's just a one time thing. It's good. God is just like fucking yo. <laughs> Chill. Like this, this ain't it. But it's like, it's to me, it's like kind of remarkable. Like I, I find religion fascinating you know and the ways that because it's just such a fundamental part of humanity uh and human history and psychology and culture and but in most games you don't get that kind of thing like think of a game that was exploring like christian ideas made by like an american developer or something and like jesus appears to you in a vision and says like no this what you're about to see here is not is not christianity like a game like essentially telling you hey this is like directly engaging with aspects of a real faith that you know in a real religion that 
uh, it's not just abstracted away. Like it's, I don't know. To yeah. me, that's like really admirable. Yeah, that is. That's a good point. It's, it's uh, it's a little bit like at the end of Earthbound where uh, it asks you to pray. <laughs> the the end boss in Earthbound that you like when you start playing Earthbound you put in your own name and then also put in the names of all the characters and at the end of the game. Uh, like when it finally seems insurmountable for you to finally beat this last boss the game is like you should pray for your characters and you do and it's like your name prayed for Ness or whatever Um, yeah that's the only other moment I can think of where that's like an explicit invocation of like literally God I think maybe uh, Bioshock Infinite tiptoed around it but was too it's too <laughs> meek kind of in the end yeah um make... yeah sorry josh no i i think like we've talked about plot and storytelling and i think those are like done really well in this game uh but you want to talk about the swords i want to i want to talk about like characterization which oh. i think is mostly accomplished through swords in this game hmm <laughs> <laughs> Because we definitely have to talk about swords in this game. A lot of this game is swords. Yeah. Just speak on that, Josh. I, so I think that this game, more than like almost any other that I played, has such a strong sense of character and characterization. Um, one of the like collectibles that you get in this game is like booze, right? You get like sake, you get monkey booze that you'll just find out in the world and you can't do anything with it except give it to the NPCs and then they like tell you a story and like 90% of the time the story is about like yeah like we used to fight with this person and they fought like this or like it's these combat Mm. stories about like the way that other characters would fight each other or like how gallant of a warrior this other character and you know with this setting um, it, it pairs so well with that of like so much of how these characters behave and their philosophies and the way that they think about the world is intertwined with the way that they fight with one another one of the the skill trees that you can get are like you get like the ashina school uh you get like the monk school which is like mainly hand-to-hand combat style stuff um and all of these things like have their own different characteristics right like the final boss when you get to Ishin, um, you get this kind of thing. Uh, it's like a foreshadowing thing where you get this tree of like sacred arts, basically, which is like all these schools combined with one another. And they take like yeah. an impossible amount of skill points to level these skills up. I don't know how many players are ever going to acquire like the one skill that takes like every single tree to be maxed. But um, it's like uh, Emma gives it to you and she's like, he said, uh, Ishin said that if you beat him with the, you know, this, he would love, you know, it would be like the ideal way to be killed or whatever. And then what do you know? The last boss is Ishin. And, um, but there's so much talking about combat. There's so much, um, so many of the places and the people that you meet are defined by the way that they fight and the things that they're trying to accomplish with combat, right? Like Sekiro is a shinobi. He has this very distinct fighting style that is like, opposed to the way that like a samurai would fight which is very like head on mm-hmm. and very like honorable uh whereas you know your shinobi fights with these fucking artificial weapons stored in his arm and he's a very like 
he's all about just like overwhelming the opponent with force to the extent that he can. Um, and all of the characters that you kind of face off against in this game have different fighting styles. And in order to, I guess, like untangle the game and to, to beat it, you have to more than anything else, you just have to figure out what the opponent's fighting style is and then do the thing that's going to counter that. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's lore embedded in the way that these characters fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I, I'll, yeah, I'll let one of you guys... I could talk about this for a fucking hour, so... Yeah, you, one of you guys could take it from here. No, I think, like, when you were saying that, the things that pop into my mind right away are Genichiro, mm-hmm. who, and especially when you fight him at the top of the castle... Yeah, um, which is burned into my brain because I did that constantly <laughs> for like fucking like four days, or whatever it is. Maybe it was less than that. But it felt like forever. But he has these three phases, and we should revisit phases at some point because I don't like these phases. But I'm for it. I do like them artistically. I do not like them in practice. <laughs> um, but the the first, you know, these phases are essentially so you have to whittle down. A health bar or their posture bar which is essentially like how would you abstract that it's like kind of how how much stamina they have maybe yeah mm-hmm. how tired they are yeah how susceptible to being broken they are yeah so you wear down either the health or this posture gauge and then you land a death blow and then the next phase starts for these bosses bosses have multiples um and the first two for Genichiro, who is this, um, I get, like sort of like a prince almost, right? No, he's a general, he's, isn't he? He, yeah, he is Ishin's adopted grandson. Right, but what's his like? What's his position in? I believe he's a general. Um, I don't think he's technically a prince. I think he. I'm not sure about that though. He's important though in like the. Oh, I'm gonna mess this up. So this actually, this is uh, not to get too sidetracked here, but the um, the Ashina clan, like again, the sort of realness that the that from are bringing into this game is that was this is a literal clan that really existed in Sengoku, Japan, um, and really a thing that happened is that the patriarch of the clan adopted a uh, a boy from another family um, because he did not have uh, any of his own kids, and in order for like inheritance to be preserved this is like how it had to happen um and so that that is what happens in the game ishin like adopts genichiro in order to like preserve the ashina uh like line of inheritance so that they can continue to have a hold on power oh when i was looking up stuff to write the article i wrote on on this game i saw that the ashina were a real clan but i didn't know it was so specific um anyway the thing i was thinking of though is that he's he's also who you fight at the beginning of the game uh genichiro and he he's the one who chops off your arm and steals uh kuro the the lord um so he's this kind of imposing figure and when you fight him at the top of the castle it's like a very big moment in the game um plot wise too it's it's like almost the end of the first act maybe i don't know if you'd want to put it that way um and you fight him and he fights like a samurai you know he's he's uh like composed and he's wearing 
like his uniform and he's sort of like tall and stately and he just moves with like a grace to him um and so that's like he does his he first... does the naruto run he does do <laughs> it's true he he's got this massive hand. bow that like yeah. if you try to block it it just knocks you back like five feet every time it hits you yeah and he's so he's like very composed right even the thing with the bow like mm-hmm. he back off to heel and he just like whips out his bow and and <laughs> like flings one at you but then you get him down to his third phase and he like resident evil boss like turns into a lightning man um which is explained that he kind of embraced this this um i'm sure one of you can speak to this better but embrace whatever it was that gave him this power to kind of like channel lightning and which was i think considered not quite a good thing to do um but he like <laughs> not chill the, heretical it's heretical <laughs> but like the way the fight transforms all of a sudden is then he's like hopping around and he's like flinging lightning at you and he's like you know uh visually different looking like he's kind of like burned looking and he's shirtless and kind of more disheveled looking but also the way he fights is different um Mm. and it kind of like reflects him kind of losing control or whatever you know surface layer of control he was trying to to show the world but there are other ones like that too i mean like the monkey the great ape i think is the guardian ape yeah. every boss is like that every boss has yeah. their own character that is like kind of conveyed in the way that they fight and and i like i was t- like i was saying that like the way that these characters fight is like part of the lore um i think that is true of like actually every boss in this game um and it's it, it shines through especially well with genichiro i think because the way that you fight genichiro is like that's the moment where you have to be like okay this is how i play sekido you have to you have to like really step into sekido's shoes in order to win that fight i think specifically i, I guess mm-hmm. the lady butterfly fight as well but i think that one is like a bit more cheesable because i did not start playing the, this game the way that it wanted me yeah. to play it until Genichido. Yeah, same. um which is to say that uh in one of the tips that they give you like during the loading screen it's like a shinobi fights by like overwhelming the opponent with relentless strikes and uh perfectly dodging and parrying when they they strike back and that's like exactly the way that you're supposed to play this game it's like there's no like getting around it that like this is how you're supposed to play this game like this is the way that sekido fights and if you try to play any differently like you're gonna be fucked basically and um once you step into your shoes as Sekiro and you kind of take on Genichiro in this way the fight changes entirely if you look mm-hmm. at people who like speed run this game it's different now because they found like a bunch of different cheeses but if you if you find people who are like really good at this game or once you master the Genichiro fight the way that you fight is not like you don't like hit him once and then run away and then try to parry his next thing and come back you you just keep pressing R1, which is your strike button. You essentially, you keep pressing R1 until he perfectly parries you or like jumps away. At which point you just keep chasing him and you keep hitting him. And he can't do shit once, once you just like keep hitting him. And that's the way that this fight works. Essentially what, uh, 
you just keep on hitting him. Uh, he'll try to like get a hit back, and then you can parry that or just regular block it. If you don't perfectly block it, it's not a big deal. But it'll wear him down, and that'll be it. Uh, that's just how the fight works. Um, but there's that sort of way that, like, okay, this is how you do this fight. This is how this opponent can be taken down, which requires you understanding how this opponent moves, what how they behave, what they do, which in turn is tied in with that character's story in the game. Um, all of these things are like one, like just really tightly wound together unit that just never ceased to impress me. Like even the smaller boss yeah. fights in this game, like um, the Orin of the Water fight. Is that the the ghost lady? Yeah, the ghost lady. Yeah, the way yeah. that she moves is just. I was yeah. like so stunned and it was just beautiful. And when you figure out like the patterns of her movements, which are actually fairly easy relative, uh, relative to a lot of the other boss fights. And you're just, it feels like you're dancing with this fucking specter that is like crying out to you, like looking for this, like uh, this person that she's lost and she's looking for. She, I, I don't know if there's like any other backstory to her, that's something that like I would love to figure out, but yeah. I knew she's trying to find her. I think her boyfriend was supposed to meet her, and I think you find her boyfriend at one point. No, he. Or, so the the one of the loaded umbrella upgrades is his umbrella, um, and there's a guy that you can. Uh, there's a guy who has like a longer quest line that either goes in two directions in one direction you can send him to someone who will experiment on him and on the other direction you oh. can send him to her uh and if you send him to her then you still fight her but after you fight her she's like oh i found him and now i'm at peace oh um, what and he's like thanks yeah she's a great example though of uh uh yeah like really they do a great job and they do this in in the souls games as well of like setting up the mood of a boss fight like coming into this you know it's isn't it it's by that bridge uh, with right. the, the river underneath it and it's just kind of this clearing and she's just standing there like face yeah. obscured and she just looks peaceful and then it becomes really chilling that she's just like this unrelenting <laughs> like it's a hard fight that one's very tough um, um, I was also going to say to talk more about Genichiro for just a minute um, you you fight him at the very beginning of the game in the intro and then at the end of the first act read as you said and then also the the very last boss fight um, he's the first phase uh, and he's like shirtless again and um, he sort of says you know I'm going to do whatever it takes to to take Kuro and survive and make Ashina like great again um <laughs> and he sorry but he um he still has like when you start attacking him and he hits you there's a particular pattern where he has two hits and then he rotates uh and then he has six hits in a row and then there's a long pause and then one final hit um and those like nine hits you you recognize the timing or at least i totally recognized the timing from when I had fought him up on the castle a gajillion times. Um, mm -hmm. And there's this sense of like, oh, I've done this. Like, I know how to do this. I know who you are. You know who I am. This is our last confrontation and uh, you're done because I 
I've already internalized this like timing and this logic, mm-hmm. um, which is also like exactly what's supposed to be happening in the story at that point. Um, and so I think not not only are the characters uh, like characterized and colored by their uh, fighting styles and what happens in their fights, but like that kind of positioning and when things are happening is also a way of like telling how things are happening in the plot. Well, it with like communicating how how wolf feels at any one given moment Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point it's also i think that way uh with a lot of the common enemies as well and i was thinking about this when josh was saying which is 100 percent true i think this bring me into something else um but when you kind of figure out genitro you figure out the rhythm you figure out how the game wants you to fight I think this was actually, maybe it was you, Josh, who said this to me about like, like get up in his face, like don't back away from him, um, mm-hmm. which is what I've been doing a lot. And I think it's the natural instinct in these kind of games is to, like, um, and I mean you do have to at a certain point, or it's good to to back away to see, kind of what they're gonna do, what they're capable of, um, but you die so quickly and the first time i fought him i was just like no it's impossible like you go up to him (laughs) i just like swung at him a few times like tried to block and parry stuff and it was just like you know swoosh swoosh dead and i was just like that fuck this like this it's just (laughs) it's just not possible um and then you learn that the thing is like it's sort of like contrary to what you might expect to do which is just like no run up to this motherfucker and just like go for it yeah and and start counting and start like i don't know counting i mean i started counting certain things which helped um but like just learning like you have to be in their face and you should really only back away when you need a second to cool off like to uh to fill up the posture again if you need to and the best fights go in such a way that you don't always need to back off at all um but the game does a good job as well of like the common enemies you'll fight and you notice this too like i noticed when i was just tired of playing the game sometimes i would just die over and over again to like just you know the common enemies walking around um because i just wasn't trying but you get better in such a way that you do power up like in terms of your attack goes up and everything but a lot of it is just you just learn all of these different enemies this is what they're capable of doing this is how to like kind of press the advantage against them and then you just tear through them Mm -hmm. um and i think that's really to me is what makes even there were times when i was playing this game where i just thought like what is the point of this what am i doing um like why do i care why do i want to grapple with this thing that is like asking so much commitment but then you get those moments where you do kind of figure it out and you realize how intricately designed this thing is and it makes it worthwhile and i don't know should we talk about this difficulty stuff i feel like i i all i have to say about that is that just fucking just give an easier option i don't i don't care it's it's whatever i i don't think like i don't want to like um talk about that too much because i feel like it's like one of the least interesting things about this right like i think that it should be more open to more players i think if an easy mode 
or an easier mode is like what it takes for the record this game does have a harder mode you can actually make the game harder if you ring the demon bell um and it makes the enemies harder so i don't see why it's like so crazy or difficult to like make it like a little bit easier it's something that they could definitely do um i just think it's not a big deal just let it happen just like let let them put it in an easier mode it's not that big of a deal um it's good that they have remappable buttons they should put it like pc has mods so if you want that those that's your option at the moment it's which is you know they should make it easier but that is a good option um if that's what you're looking for i think just to go back to this the, the other stuff we were talking about before the game is just so obsessed with and i guess like a lot of other like ninja slash samurai genre stuff is very focused on like fighting styles and how they like tie in with us as people um Mm -hmm. and sekiro really boils that down into something that you have to engage with directly and i think that's like something that a lot of other games don't do combat is not a way of characterizing the game it's not a way of like engaging with the the central theme and like working with the genre um but sekiro does that all really in a really really deft way that i think it's kind of reductive to just call it difficulty because Mm -hmm. once you figure out a little bit more about the way a character works and how they move it feels you're not just learning how to like beat them you're learning about this world you're learning about this character that i and i think that like that's just like such an amazing incredible thing about this game and and again i do think it's reductive to just call that difficulty i think so too i think it's i mean there's a broadness to it and, and this has been like litigated for the last whatever like two weeks or whatever that this game's been out to death and obviously <laughs> i mean i i'm very much on the same wave as you and dan i think there should just be easy modes in these games i think there should be you know whatever normal mode that you can just have something that says you know the way our designers intended it to be played or whatever or just something marking that this is kind of the ideal this is what we were trying to give everybody um or, or whatever however you word that but i appreciate the ways in which like this this kind of game everything works as a whole like josh was saying and that i think the ways that you die in this game the things it asks of you the things it tells you to pay attention to are very much a part of what it's trying to communicate as a work of art sorry ebert but it's a work <laughs> of art um but I do worry a little bit about like I don't want to dismiss the idea entirely of I don't think this game is perfect I think um, there's a lot I really liked about the all the run up to Genichiro pretty much but I think there's there are aspects of it that are so I don't know the right way to put it but like it's not it doesn't have all the qualities that we're talking about being the best qualities. Like when you fight that bull, I think it's just like kind of nonsense, you know, it's, but then again, it's a bull, you know, it's supposed to just be, and it's 
fucking horns are on fire so it's just like <laughs> thrashing around right um but there are aspects of it where it's just like I'm trying to think of the right way to put it like it's so precarious like these ideas that they're trying to get across and at the beginning i feel like you almost need to like the stuff that's really intricately designed i think needs to be at the beginning of the game to kind of force an understanding of what's being what they're trying to communicate i saw this tweet that was like the long arm centipede giraffe uh fight should be like the opening boss of the game because i i think that the game is not like explicit enough about hey like you have to play the game like this y'all like you can't do it another way because it gives you a lot of space to play the game in different ways when the game starts and it's it doesn't really like explicitly teach you the lesson that like hey you have to play it this way if you want to like not have a miserable time until like that fight until the genichiro fight um i think that fight with the centipede draft is like the most uh educational for what the game is trying to do in the sense that it's like sort of a tutorial where like you just have to block the stuff on time it's not as hard as it seems you're gonna die a few times trying to figure it out but if you just stand there and block the shit as it comes at you and then you hit him back when he's supposed to be hit back you the fight will be over in a minute you know what i'm saying like i i think that's like a perfect encapsulation of that that doesn't come until like way too late in the game um i i do think that that stuff could have been better tuned i think that um a lot of the difficulty stuff is kind of bullshit. Like, should I be banging my head against this wall for an hour? Should I be banging my head against the wall for t- half an hour? Uh, I, you know, I, it, like the variables. Yeah, who should? How how long should I take beating Genichiro for it to be sufficiently difficult for me? Who's making these decisions? Some of that stuff does feel not perfectly tuned. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I for the record i did spend a lot of time figuring out what these bosses are like and for all the positivity that i've kind of spewed here about like the fact that they are characterized and there's so much depth to these uh ai characters that i'm fighting against i i did spend like a pretty long amount of time facing off against these things that i don't know was really necessary you know what i'm saying um so i agree with you in that respect reed for sure I will, like, I want to pick your brain on this too, Dan, but, like, the one thing I do think about, and I will say this is I one reason why I've enjoyed, I enjoyed Sekiro a lot more than uh, the last few From games in this style, is that one thing that always, and this, like, crystallized a lot of how I felt about the first Dark Souls, which... Um, like I beat Demon Souls in two and three, but two and three I had to like summon people, so I don't know how how earned that is. And Bloodborne, but there's a story there where I think I benefited from a, a glitch that made the game easier <laughs> <laughs> um, that I wasn't aware of, and I thought I was just good at from games at that point. <laughs> um, but oh, sorry. I, just, I think yeah, no, I think um, a lot of people were talking about how this game is harder. Uh, than other from games because you can't summon um and because you can't grind um and i think like 
those things are sort of true um there's at least <laughs> there's that one summon in the harada estate um and you can grind out abilities which are like a little bit different you can grind out prosthetic tools which actually prosthetic we i don't know if you want to like dedicate a whole separate piece of time for prosthetics tools but they are um a big deal and extremely mm -hmm. useful um and obviate like a lot of the the very hard fights um or some of the very hard fights but i think i've been playing dark souls game like i haven't finished any of the dark souls or i neither bloodborne um but uh that's kind of how i've been playing dark souls games like i i've been using as many summons as i possibly can i'm not going to grind because i hate grinding so i'm just sort of pushing up against it until eventually i get past it um and other dark souls or other dark souls and bloodborne have gotten frustrating being played that way but i i really felt like uh, I was making progress in Sekiro in a way that I didn't necessarily feel I was making progress in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Um, yeah. So I, like, I, I totally see people pointing out that it's harder because you're playing it in this different way, but I also think that um, I don't know, I, maybe it's, it's sort of just like, this is how I expected to be playing Dark Souls, I guess. Well, I mean like one of the what I was going to say with some of the stuff is like when in Dark Souls I got to Ornstein and Smog or whatever I don't know how to pronounce it mm -hmm. and I was banging my head against it in a way that I hadn't had to with anything up until that point um, even when stuff was really difficult and then I started to think well maybe I need to go grind and then I started to think well maybe I distributed my like skill points in a stupid way and yeah, stats are bad yeah. don't put stats in your game <laughs> well i know and then i was like well maybe i just like fuck this up maybe i'm like yeah. you know 35 hours into this game like you know jrpg style and then i've just oh i've just done it wrong um or i guess maybe that's more like let's not regionalize our rpgs anyway um but then it's also mixed in with this thing of well this is also skill based this is testing your reactions and your like and in Sekiro what I really liked is that the options are fewer it's there obviously are things like Dan you're saying like the prosthesis um, are a thing like if you get stuck on someone and you don't have I think like one of the things at the beginning is when you fight the giant and I think you overhear soldiers being like he's afraid of fire um, yeah, and I was like, "Well, I don't have fire. I'll try to fight him." And I tried fighting him a bunch of times, and I was like, "I should go find whatever this fire is." Um, and so those introduced like the kind of variables and like what Josh was saying about like when I got to like when I got to the ape, I was just like, "Nah, fuck this. There are other places to go for now, so I'm just gonna go do that for a while." But like, could I have beat the ape without having gone and like collected some more stuff that made uh, the wolf like a bit more powerful like I don't know but I think Sekiro is a better version it's like the best version of the from thing to date in terms of being just like no you probably have what you need to have when you come to this boss so you can beat it you don't need to go level up or summon people or you know do whatever in that yeah, sense I think that in that sense like I think that the game it's combat and gameplay in general 
is just very well it has like a really nice sense of authorship to it that few other games have in the way that like the combat works um i i've said this and elsewhere but a lot of games are they'll say like you know here's 30 ways to take on this one boss fight like you can use this gun you can use this sword you can use this uh you can like level up this stat you can do this stat you can use this cheese you can uh just go around the boss like there's so many different ways that you could take on a boss in x game and um sekiro is just like it's the complete opposite of that where it's like uh, there's a lot of ways that you could beat this boss theoretically but ultimately you just have to learn how they work and then just fucking do it like it, it, a lot of the bosses just like ultimately just ask you to just beat the boss um the yeah. way that the boss is meant to be beaten and that is kind of like the opposite <laughs> of approachable right it's kind of like it's a little bit gatekeeping in that sense but um i think it ties in with the fact that like in video games you do play a role right like you are stepping into the shoes of another character and when a game asks you to really live out this character's you know style and this this character's movement and this the way that this character carries himself in this world um i think that like it's this is a really interesting way of doing that i think that the difficulty of playing this game ties in really well with like difficult art whereas like where you're watching like a three-hour movie like that's what kind of Sekiro is you're getting immersed in this character because you're supposed to play it this way um and it is kind of unforgiving in that sense but um it's not just more rewarding in the like i just overcame this really hard thing but it's like also rewarding in the sense that you're engaging with this game in the way that in the way that like the story is meant to be told to you um and again that tuning isn't necessarily it doesn't have to be like a uniform thing for every player uh and i think that's where like the whole difficulty thing comes into account but in the same Mm -hmm. sense i think that it's important that it asks you to play in a specific way and it asks you to do these specific things i think that gives it like the power to flesh out its world using the combat yeah as as much as i might miss the mode where you can flirt with the ape and get the flower that way uh like the fact that the (laughs) the combat is is a a focused is such is the only way forward um it sort of means that the team can spend more time on it. it sort of means that uh the like perilous attacks can work in this very specific way um i don't know i saw a really really interesting video where they were talking about how um in order to like make the boss fights work and feel good and feel like you can understand them um they had to like literally tune the frames of the animations like they're looking at uh, you know how many frames of telegraphing do you have and how many frames of hit do mm. you have and how many frames of landing do you have which is that's not easy to do in in like a 3d pipeline um, so that's that's this like fighting game level kind of focus on what is what does it look like to see someone do this move or that move that you can you know jump over or parry or uh, mikiri counter or what right so the, the, the variety of tools that you have within the combat system make it in, like very deep and, and very uh, like rewarding to, to, to fully understand and to, to be comfortable with.
Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, part of, I think, why maybe this ties into some of the difficulty thing and some of the, the stuff that I think is, like, obviously super misguided and overly simplistic with people being, like, you have to rise to the challenge of no matter what it is because that's what, you know, Miyazaki sitting in his throne with his perfect wisdom has decreed that you must have, you know, like respect the developer's vision, all that shit. Um, which like to a certain extent, I'm like, yeah, I think part of what people respond to, uh, with this game and with other games and why they get so bent out of shape about people being like, I would like it slightly different, please. Like I would like my, my gourmet, meal served like with less salt than like some <laughs> incredible chef has has determined is the right amount is that so many games now are just um so obsessed with just being like bland like being as as kind of open and tasteless and and I, I mean tasteless in not not objectionable, but I mean there there sure are a lot of tasteless <laughs> without games too. flavor. Yeah, um, but like the idea too, like what Josh is saying, like no, you're playing as the wolf. Like this is part of it, and you are you have to try to understand who this character is through the way he fights, and the combat is an expression of him as a character. Um, yeah, it, it runs so counter to games where it's just like. I don't know. I think even if like this is like one of the most like egregious examples, but like Half Life Two, where it's you are obviously supposed to be a character, but like now he doesn't talk, and you can't see him, like, so yeah. he can be anyone. And like open world games where it's just, and obviously there's a place for this stuff too. But I think it's become such a dominant trend of the game is like trying so desperately to please you that it's not mm -hmm. being enough of itself. And so when you have something like these from games, which are so like deliberately this is what we're going for this is what we're doing and i think sekiro especially because it's less of an rpg than uh souls or bloodborne is like people are really protective of it because it's like confident in what it is it's like a lot of other games will it, it's like you can put yourself in this character's shoes like your link you can have it be your yeah. name in there like you can kind of step into his you know or he can be you he can be a stand-in for you but in Sekiro yeah. it's like you have to become him you know like yeah. you have to become Sekiro which is what I like about this game I and difficulty wise I would I guess I would compare it to almost it reminds me of like a like Joyce or like a like sound in the fury type thing where even in the way that it's, it's like presented to you in the game is like it's very clearly like uh, so you're just supposed to clash against these bosses over and over. You're going to have to go read this multiple times. Um, it's not going to be clear to you the first time, and you have to engage with it in order to understand it, and they're okay with that. You know, it, it, And I think they do things that like kind of help you with that. Like they put the save points right in front of the boss or like a 10-second walk away from the boss almost every boss yeah. is like that you don't have to like traverse and go through all these like little trash mobs before you get back to any boss i think there's like one boss in the game that's like that and it's like one of the most annoying annoying ones um which which um one is the drunkard juzo 
the drunkard fight. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have to get, get through that like, whole courtyard of like enemies. Three guys. Yeah, dudes, there's all so. these guys surrounding him. Oh right, yeah. yeah. Um, and the, but the rest of them are pretty like forgiving. It's just like the save points right there. They they basically acknowledge that you're just gonna fight this boss over and over and over for a little while until you get to the next part. Um, but it like it it expects you to engage with the game that way and it it asks you to engage with the game that way and i think that's like a very conscious decision on their part because you're supposed to be learning how these bosses work and like learning uh all the stuff that i've talked about earlier in the episode i think see i'm worried because we're already running past this thing but then josh you bring up this point (laughs) with you're like like choice like you're reading Ulysses, mm-hmm. you want to get, you want to read Ulysses. You're gonna have to work, right? Like you're, you're going to have to reread sections. You're going to have to sometimes look up things. It's going to assume you know, like the story of the Odyssey. It's going to assume you know, uh, just like Irish history, all these different things. Um, lots of biblical uh, stories you have to know too. But I feel like. I don't know, maybe this is going to open a whole other can of worms. But I feel like there's a difference in that that is just there's something essential to what a video game's difficulty is asking of you. And I thought a lot about this because originally I was going to write about this specifically, but then I thought no one cares what one person thinks about video game difficulty. Um aside from what Twitter may have been scream, <laughs> screaming for everyone's opinion has to be heard. But to me, like the fundamental thing comes down to like, I got like really sort of like existential about playing certain points of like fighting this guardian ape. Having my partner be like, why don't you just stop playing this? If it's like making you so like, it's like making you stressed out. Like you seem preoccupied, like when you're not playing, <laughs> like I'm thinking about this, this fucking ape. Um, and to me in these games the very clear goal is I want to see more of this because I'm, I enjoy so much what they're doing that I want to keep going I want to see more areas I want to know more of what they're trying to communicate um, but at the same time the thing that like gives me pause is if I'm if I really want to understand Ulysses um, I'm going to learn things that are going to teach me about humanity as a whole about our culture um at least you know different aspects that joyce is engaging with like specifically like uh western culture and and um western european culture i'm i'm going to learn those things which are going to give me something to take beyond the experience of just getting to the end of reading ulysses right and it's like the same thing of um I think all three of us play music to some degree, right? Yeah. Mm. Josh, I know you do. Um, but like when you're practicing something um, musically and I have never felt this. And maybe it's cause I like, I started playing uh, like classical violin when I was really, really young. Like I was four when I started being in lessons. And so maybe it's drilled into me, but the idea was always that you're doing something repetitive and difficult and you might play you know a few bars of music like for an hour just to get you know what's essentially 
maybe 10 to 15 seconds of music down but you always know that when you're done you're taking that with you in ways that it can be applied to all sorts of things and so for me i guess like sorry this like really long-winded way of getting to the point of saying that when i um like slam my head against something like sekiro i start thinking what is this doing beyond feeding back into what this thing is you know what i mean it's like what's the what's the greater purpose of becoming excellent at Sekiro because when the game's done it's done and it's sorry yeah no I was just like the 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 greater purpose of reading Ulysses is not to like understand the Odyssey right I don't think so at least I'm I'm this is you're you're right that this is sort of a can of worms this is like a a, it's a very large can of worms yeah like the nature and purpose of art i think um but i but i will say that i think um the like literal plot level of sekiro not the sort of rhythmic and and um almost like meditative combat elements um has definitely put me to to be reading a ton about sengoku japan um like I think the same yeah. themes that show up here are definitely showing up in like I watched Kagemusha um, uh, I've revisited like Throne of Blood I think that the same kind of uh, fear of um, like giving the land over to someone who doesn't know how to handle it um, that is a, such a big theme in not only in the history of Sengoku Japan but in the media that like tells the story of Sengoku Japan um and that like leads lends a lot of uh sort of depth to Genichiro's character um and the kind of conflict between Genichiro and Ishin um so I, I do I do think there's a lot there in terms of that kind of like playing out to other media and playing out to the 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 layering of that stuff but I but the other thing is I feel like this is a very like video game specific question to ask. Yeah. So much of like mm-hmm. yeah. the art and media that we consume, we consume it for its own sake and we gain context about it for the sake of understanding that work. If I'm watching the Odyssey or um, the Odyssey, uh, 2001, a space Odyssey, for instance, and I want to like understand that as like a Kubrick film. And like, I go back to watch other Stanley Kubrick films and figure out this little like world that Stanley Kubrick was trying to create. Nobody would ask like, well, what value is this imparting on unto me that like, I am not, you you know what I'm saying? Like understanding Stanley Kubrick's work is seen as like a good in and of itself because Stanley Kubrick is an artist and he did things that are good and worth Uh, looking at and picking apart for their own artistic worth and i think when we think about video games it's so tied in with these like kind of you know valueless vapid uh like just pointless um i guess like games because in the past they have been and they typically are um but i think it's not necessarily a bad thing to um like try to understand or like challenge yourself with a video game for its own sake uh i think video games do have a way of like feeling empty in that way and and i had read i had that same thought as you when i was like taking an hour to beat the corrupted monk or what have you i was like what am i wasting my time here but um i think that there's enough here i think that from has done enough where 
it is kind of like you know if you're enjoying yourself and you are getting a richer reading of the piece by continuing to engage with it i think that it is like valuable in and of itself personally yeah and i mean i'm not i'm not trying to say that like obviously i don't think all video games are by basis of like their medium like vapid or something right i i, I still keep playing games and writing about games because there are experiences here and there and i will say like i sekiro is one of them where um it, it certainly shows it's like no this is something unique here this is something that i'm really glad i felt these things and thought about these things um it does make me think and and i guess it, something dan said right at the beginning of and josh you were kind of saying too about like for its own sake um i think in in a game like this the reason i'm willing to keep butting my head against it where i wouldn't in another game um is also because part of what's going on here is the satisfaction of getting from the art what the art wants to give you you know um like to go to the Ulysses yeah. thing again, aside from you know the value of, of, uh, say you know because I don't I don't think the point of reading Ulysses is to understand the Odyssey or something or to understand Irish history. There's sorry, yeah, <laughs> no, 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 but there, no, no, that, like that's valuable. I think if you want to know Irish history, you can get it a lot more clearly than like <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're not going to be in in class and you're like okay here read ulysses it'll fill you in (laughs) like um but what you want to get to and you know when you read ulysses you want to get to the point where at the end when you're going the yes 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 part that ends the book and it's beautiful and incredible and makes you feel a lot of very specific things that joyce has been leading you toward um from this and i guess that's like the point in and of itself right is to is to get what the art wants to give you and Sekiro yeah. definitely has that and has that in throughout right like there yeah. are are moments where you're going to feel exactly what the game wants you to feel mm-hmm. um it wants to give you a lot <laughs> it, it does it's certainly it's a way better use of time than the other thing too is like you play this game and like I suck ass, so I think I was like fifty hours or something at the end. Yeah, it took me forty, I think. But like I think of other things I've played for that long that are like I don't know. I've played a little bit because I got it for like super cheap on Steam. Uh, Middle Earth: Shadow of War, and let me tell you, that game seems like it wants it wants like hundreds of hours of time um, hmm. to tell you that you can kill orcs as troy baker that's what it wants to tell you that's its <laughs> message it seems to be so far um so yeah i i that's the other thing too is this game made me feel a lot of things i never felt though like it was i don't think these games are just masochistic i don't think they're just like hey fuck you yeah um they're trying to get something across and that makes them to me worthwhile it it reminded me this is uh related i think um it reminded me a lot of hyperlight drifter um which i think josh you might have also said um 
it's difficult in a way that like I don't necessarily think Hyperlight Drifter is as hard as Sekiro but like there's this kind of um, quiet mood as you walk through these empty kingdoms that I think is interesting and I think the kind of uh, speed with which uh, you're supposed to play these two games or you're you, you, you end up having to play these two games is is similar um, and I don't necessarily think that the team at from has has played hyperlight drifter and is like throwing back to it but i'm i'm curious i like i would totally love to ask them if they if they have if that's if that's something they're thinking about um yeah well you can ask miyazaki you can call him <laughs> yeah i'll get him on the on the horn if you pray he might hear you <laughs> um this has gone long um but is there anything else that either of you want to touch on here while we're? I think I'm. I think I'm sekidoed out. <laughs> it would have been cool if it was just called Sekiro and not colon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Activision. <laughs> way to, way to dumb down. Way to casualize it. I, I, I do I also like I'm really curious about Activision's influence because I know that a lot of the folks when there are interviews folks at from have said that Activision was extremely helpful in terms of uh, tuning things and making sure things made sense um, and I wonder if that contributes a little bit to the sort of sophomore album kind of slight pop turn that I that I do think is a good thing um, even if people are worried that Activision is going to like ruin the next from game or whatever I don't think that's something people should be worried about. Uh, yeah. I also, I saw something in an interview too, which was really heartening where I think they might've been Miyazaki talking to, to people. And they talk about how at from part of their company culture is to like essentially pursue new ideas. And like, instead of like when they made dark souls three, they were like, okay, we're not going to make dark souls anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think you see that in Sekiro too. That it, it's kind of neat that a studio, because so much stuff is based on titles uh, in games and not not the people who are making them always. And it's it's nice as well to see a studio that's willing to say, "Hey, this is something different." Even though, of course, you can tell it's by the same uh, people with some similar objectives, still kind of like riffing on some of the same ideas, but. Um, it's it's nice to see them like pursue a new idea yeah. and luckily activision made that possible <laughs> <laughs> thanks activision um that's gonna do it that's gonna do sweet it. i there are other things we didn't talk about the sense of humor there's some great monkeys in this game Great monkeys. There are... I live in the car beats the bridge. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful. That's great. I the first time I noticed that the monkeys were shooting rifles, I actually laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, the I like the giant roosters. I like the giant snake. That's... The Miss Noble is like a fun joke. Uh, yeah, yeah, which one was that? Is if once you so you go in the 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 forest that's all full of like ghosts and illusions and it's misty and dark and you eventually you get into the house and there's this like 
creepy yeah. slug guy praying and you're like oh no this is it uh but you just kill him and all the mist dissipates yep i spent about an hour looking around for the best path to get back to that um, fully walk through that one and then i was like all right fuck it i'm just gonna do it Let's see what happens and that was wonderful uh also the guy in the kite yeah kite guy, kite guy 2020 <laughs> just <fuck. laughs> that guy's great that guy's like super dead. yeah um yeah that's it that's it so this has been you know what also this has been if you notice that this episode was especially uh sexy in a um kind of sophomore kind of way that's because it's episode 69 nice Uh, nice um so that's that's quite a landmark we've recorded way more episodes than 69 but you know you get to this point and uh you feel accomplished you feel great so that's us bullet points bullet points bullet points is a whole month right now on sekiro shadows die twice um right now there's an article by me there's one by ed uh and i think by the time this goes up there'll be one by chris bro as well i'm so excited (laughs) and i am very excited to commission that chris bro has written some of the best shit ever on dark souls games so i he has a way of describing action that is second to none so excited to run that uh then dan will have to follow that so good for you i'll do my best <laughs> no, be i am doing my best so that's that's all this month um april is all four articles on sekiro and uh in the meantime too we have other stuff going on we have the book okay hero about metal gear solid um which we are carefully not giving too many updates on because it would be bad to announce things that are we can't make come true but lots of stuff has been happening that thing is moving along nicely and we will tell you as soon as we can when that thing's coming out very excited to get that done and out in the world um patreon Patreon patreon.com slash bullet points is our patreon uh you should go to it and and give us some money because it allows us to do this allows us to hire freelancers it allows us to um buy the games when the the pr won't send them to us because we're not a big enough website and that's that's always a burden um and god forbid one day it may actually allow us to pay ourselves a little bit of money uh to compensate for a lot of hours spent doing this work um that's all of it yeah go check out that stuff there's the website has lots of stuff to read there's a bazillion podcast episodes patreon has all sorts of stuff you sign up five dollars or more and there's other things that are ridiculous like astrid and i like 16 episodes of going through kingdom hearts (laughs) that's good stuff you're talking about also about like this game is like 50 hours long and what i got from it i probably played like like fucking like 500 hours of kingdom hearts yeah damn dude and there's like two things i got from it lord help you (laughs) 525,000 i just i just prayed for you kingdom hearts (sighs) anyway 
Dan, where can people find you? I am at DWFRIES on Twitter. And also you can go to DWFRIES.com. You still got that Twitter account locked down? I don't think it's private at the moment. I wow. just got hired, so I don't have to do that. Wow. Get in now while the getting's good before Dan yeah. slams the door. Knock me up over that 300 mark. <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, big I'm on, I'm on Twitter at. How many followers you got? Hi there, Josh. H I T H E R E J O S H. Uh, if you see K pop tweets, that is me. Uh, don't be afraid. Or perhaps be afraid. I tweet a lot about K pop. Um, and I am also co host of Bad End Podcast, which you can also check out. I feel like we're sort of like a sister podcast to Bullet Points, you know. I, I am only one third of Bullet Points. I I like Bad End. It's very good. I endorse cool. it. <laughs> um, so check us out. We're at Bad End Podcast on Twitter dot com. Hey Josh, you got a Patreon or anything for uh, that? Oh yeah, Patreon dot com slash Bad End. Check that out too. Um, and I guess I said this last time as well. You should really go listen to Bad End. It's very good. Um, most video game podcasts are not very good. <laughs> Bad end is uh, the three of you are very funny, but also very like sharp and insightful, and it's a good mix of of like just pure entertainment, and also you'll probably learn a thing or two. Thank you. So, <laughs> Thank you. It means a lot. Highly recommended. Um, I think that's gonna do it though. All right. I think. Uh, that's going to do it until Sekiro 2 Shadows Die. Thrice? Four times? Qu- quattro. <laughs> shadows Couture Die. Say. Yeah, that's it. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Bye. Bye.